0: Here we go, episode 13 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. It's your boy Joe Sorallo. Joining me, as usual, my man Mackenzie Rivers. Mackenzie, we've got some all-star starters to get into, the future of James Harden, and we've got some great games
1: this weekend. How you doing, man? I am doing excellent. You know, the last couple podcasts, I've gotten lucky. I've come in with two two ideas that I thought were kind of even, and I ended up picking one that were best bet winners. Today is not the case. I have a play circled in a particular matchup for Friday that I feel very strongly about trumping by some distance other good bets that I'll give you throughout this podcast.
0: Well, I can't wait to hear it, man. You definitely got me excited with that teaser. But let's jump in to the All-Star game. The starters for each conference's All-Star teams have been announced, and it looks pretty accurate. In the West, you've got Steph Curry, John ja Morant, Andrew Wiggins, first time starter, just like Ja. LeBron James, and then the Joker rounding things out. In the Eastern Conference, you've got Trey Young, who's having a great year himself, despite the Hawks floundering. DeMar DeRozan, deservedly so. Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Joel Embiid round out the front court. And Mackenzie, I'm going to start out here. I really don't have a single issue with the All Star teams. You know, usually when. The MLB All-Star Game comes out. That's usually because it's the biggest All-Star Game of the major sports. That's the one where people go crazy. And how could this guy have made it and this guy didn't? And then with the Pro Bowl coming out, you've definitely got some snubs. But right here, looking at the starters, now we don't know about the reserves, if anyone's going to be left off, who's deserving. But I think the fan vote, I think everyone got this right. I think the starters all deserve to be there. The one guy who I believe you can make an argument for who isn't a starter, is Chris Paul. He's having an incredible year. Only guy in the NBA averaging over 10 assists per game. His ball security is through the roof. Couple of steals per game as well. But at the same time, it's like, yes, does Chris Paul deserve to start? Absolutely. Who are you going to leave off? Steph Curry, John Morant, both having incredible years. Both not only All-Stars deservedly so, but both belong in the MVP discussion for where they have their teams right now And of course, look, Chris Paul plays for the team that's currently the best team in the NBA, but he's got a pretty strong supporting cast around him, led by Devin Booker. So, you know, outside of him, maybe you can argue Paul over, honestly, based off efficiency, over Steph, who statistically speaking is having the worst shooting year of his career, efficiency-wise. Maybe that's your argument, but at the end of the day, I think they got it pretty right.
1: Is this a typo? Is Andrew Wiggins, who I think it was either... Zach Lowe, or might've been Nate Duncan said, matter of factly, like a couple of years in, there was one of those yes, no's. Will Andrew Wiggins ever make an all-star game? And this was when he was disappointing as a number two in Minnesota. The Minnesota guy was like, yeah, I mean, he's disappointed, but he'll probably make an all-star team in Zach Lowe's or Nate Duncan, <laughs> whichever. No, not ever going to happen. I mean, he's just not that quality. And if you look at his... Per per this year, player efficiency rating. Who I'm the one person in the world who says per, but his per is only 16. It's league average. I mean, honestly, is this is this a typo? Why is Andrew Wiggins and not Donovan Mitchell and not Anthony Edwards? Like, I, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Like, I th- at, at first, I thought it was a typo, but I checked it, and it, you are right. So, do you have a counter argument? I think that Andrew Wiggins. I know the Warriors. Wow. Wolves up 10-2. They've been killing it in the first quarter. I should have played that one. But anyway, they, Anthony Edwards, just one of many players, in my opinion, just a notch better in overall gamitude than Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is a piece. So is Jordan Poole. You know, so is uh, the rookie with the hard-to-pronounce name that scored 20 last night. Like, like, what is Andrew Wiggins doing besides being the number one pick back in the day to earn this spot as a starter? In the All Star game. What am I missing?
0: Well, look, for starters, and this doesn't speak to individual accolades, but for starters, he's winning. He's out of Minnesota. He's playing, no doubt, the best basketball of his career, and he's on a winning team that has some attention and has the spotlight. So that's where he gets the recognition from. But if you look at the season he's having, yes, PER, you can look at that and live and die by PER. I, I think it contributes. I don't think that it's the end all be all. And if you look at Wiggins, what I really am impressed by this season is his three-point shooting. He's drilling over 40% of his three-pointers this season. He is playing a huge part. We can't undermine the role that he's played in Golden State's success. You know, they didn't have Klay Thompson up until a couple weeks ago. We've talked about that at length. Now they've been without Draymond Green. And with the exception of Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins has been the second most consistent player on the Warriors. And you know, yes, you can argue there are guys that have better numbers. First off to the Donovan Mitchell point, obviously definitely better. I think Mitchell's listed as a guard whereas Wiggins is in the front court vote. So, I'll give you that uh, that Mitchell is definitely the better player, the more superior, more deserving of an All-Star bid, but I just think based off positioning, that's why that didn't happen. The small forward position is not that deep in the Western Conference. That's also what plays into it. You know, it's if you look at the East where you have Jason Tatum who you mentioned, Uh, there's way more quality in the Eastern Conference than in the West, where Wiggins is up there with, you know, LeBron, who you can call a small forward. Some nights he's a small forward, some nights he's a point guard, others he's a center, right? Like, who the hell knows? But there's no Chris Middleton out there. There's no Jason Tatum. Uh, There's no DeMar DeRozan. Not sure if he's listed as a guard or a forward. I think he was actually listed as a guard for this. You know, his competition, I think his top competition at small forward is Brandon Ingram, and Anthony Edwards. And they're both deserving. They're both talented, but I'm not really up in arms upset that Wiggins got in over one of those two guys. Same, by the way, if you want to just talk forwards in general, same goes for the power forward position. A lot deeper in the Eastern Conference than it is in the Western Conference, where if you look at power forwards in the West, I believe the second leading Maybe the leading scorer among all power forwards in the West is Jaron Jackson Jr. at
1: 16.5 points per game. Forward
0: in the West? Nowhere near the same as
1: forward in the East, in my opinion. Exactly. You don't even need good offensive players around Steph Curry to have a league average offense. He's the only good offensive player there. Klay Thompson's done nothing. All right, I'm speaking a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but yeah, shocking how bad Steph Curry as the MVP favorite his numbers are compared to his average. The narrative Is that he's turning it around? But in reality, it's just the supporting cast has gotten better. I do think he is next level, and that he's taking shots that are like Kobe esque. Kobe never had a good player efficiency rating because he would take a lot of bad shots that helped his team, and he would do a lot of things like get the ball up the court efficiently that will never show up in a stat sheet. So Steph Curry's Steph Curry's uh, sorry. I just wanted real quick. Steph Curry's a a clear starter, and so is John Morant, the other guard, and that's the real problem here. That Paul. Booker Mitchell, all the other guys that Wiggins is probably a notch below, they're all in the guard position, and that doesn't even mention guards in this class, uh, this all star class that have really underperformed expectations. James Harden, we'll talk about later, Luka Doncic. names that you expected to just be a starter year after year after year are not there this year for good reason, yeah. Although, you know, if you're strictly
0: going off PERs, you know, you like to call it per. James Harden has the second highest PER among all shooting guards in the entire NBA, not even the East. You know who has the fourth highest PER? Gary Payton. And he plays 16 and a half minutes per game. And that's why I don't live and die by PER because yes, Gary Payton has a higher PER than Andrew Wiggins. Otto Porter has a higher PER than Andrew Wiggins. Those are both teammates of his. Obi Toppin does too. I love Obi Toppin. You know There ain't no stopping Obi Toppin. I love watching him at the garden when he gets up. I mean, the man's got better ups than 99% of the league. Are we going to sit here and say he's having a better year or he's a better player than Andrew Wiggins? Absolutely not. So the PER argument,
1: I just think... Yeah, let me address that. Let me address that because it's so funny. Ten years ago, I was in your chair naming, listing, writing in thousand-page, thousand-word forums uh, all the problems with player efficiency rating and how... Just because LeBron's number one doesn't mean he's better than Kobe for this reason and that reason and this reason. And it's all very, very true. But here's why I am the last guy using player efficiency rating and shunning, especially ESPN Real Plus Minus, but also VORP and some of the other new ones, because they're so finagled. Player efficiency rating developed by the great John Hollinger, who got a job with the Grizzlies uh, and is is a bona fide NBA mind just measured production not defense not even trying to like this when this guy's on the court the plus minus no that is impossible to do brad Stevens says when he gets an email about a defensive metric he knows he can delete the email at that point because it's going to be nonsense and player efficiency rating says we don't do that sorry i mean that's something andrew wiggins very good at defense golden state by the way out of the blue, even without Draymond Green for a month, number two defensive rating in the league. That's why they're good. I'm sorry, number one defensive rating, number two overall. Yeah, Andrew Wiggins is much better than his player efficiency rating. It's a starting point. So it's, it's a starting point. I'm just saying, you got to make when, when someone is league average in that particular stat in their production, rebounds, assists times turnover squared or whatever, or divided by turnover squared. It's a very nice formula that i look at it just kind of makes sense to me if i see a player stat line i know what their player efficiency rating is so that that's why i like it because i know the holes in it i know players that don't get that shoot a lot of bad shots will get a bad player efficiency rating or jordan michael jordan you might have heard of him got one rebound in that jazz game that he had to win but he scored 60 percent of their points because that's what he had to do that night so player efficiency rating is good because it is flawed so yeah all this stuff is with a huge grain of salt that said, the positive argument for Andrew Wiggins, to me, I think, I mean, he's going to be a starter. Looking at these other small forwards, it's really by default. It's but like, I, think, yeah. I, I think it's just, it's kind of ignoring the fact that it's really been Uh, five or six guys stepping up on that Warriors team that they're overperforming, not just Andrew Wiggins. But, you know, give him his flowers. He's he's the best forward probably for that spot.
0: Oh, absolutely. Look, I agree with everything you just said. In terms of the Warriors, it's been a next man up mentality, right? You've got Steph, head and shoulders above the rest, and you've got Wiggins who's been consistently good. But outside of that, it's been the Otto Porters and the Gary Paytons and the Jonathan Kumingas coming out of nowhere and balling out when Clay Thompson is, you know, either not there because he's hurt Or he's there and he's underperforming, or when Draymond Green is out. It's those no names, and I don't I don't even want to say no names, because they're really talented players, but it's that it's that next man up mentality that's carrying Golden State. You're a thousand percent right. You're also right that you know the forward position is just not deep. I mean, you know, what do you want to do? Have a couple centers in there, right? Have LeBron as the small forward, Jokic as the power forward, and then put Gobert in, because that I could see that making sense, but I don't think because Jokic and Gobert are both listed as centers, I don't think that's allowed. So You know, when you look at the forward position, much deeper at small and power forward in the Eastern Conference than it is in the West, where you've got, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark, both of Memphis, coming in really high on the PER scale. But, you know, I won't tell you that either of them are as good or having a year as good as Andrew Wiggins
1: is. I will say James Harden is probably having a season near, if not better than Trey Young and probably near or equivalent to DeMar DeRozan. I mean, the Nets have won a lot of games. And he put up thirty in a triple double the other night, and it's kind of a secondary story about James Harden right now. I mean, he's averaging just- almost a triple double. Yeah he's he's not he's not that far from the. I mean, he's maybe far from the MVP level, but he's still. I mean, he probably should be an NBA starter. It's probably, uh, you know, just because voters don't like him that much and they don't like Brooklyn that much. I can't blame him necessarily.
0: Yeah, look, you know, I love DeMar DeRozan, and we've been talking about this, and I got excited a few episodes back with, uh, you know, is DeMar an MVP dark horse? James Harden is realistically probably a better ball player than DeMar DeRozan, a- and, you know, DeRozan's got his team in a great position where people said, you know, oh, they will be a six to eight seed, and they were the one seed a few minutes ago. James Harden's averaging 23, which for him is light, and by MVP standards is very light, no doubt about it, but he's averaging 23 points, uh, eight rebounds. And 10 assists per game. I misspoke before. I said Paul was the only one averaging 10 assists. That's in the Western Conference. Harden averaging 10 assists per game. I mean, that's insane. He's having great numbers, especially for a guy who's not a true point guard, right? Not the Nets true point guard. Of course, you know, they have a part-time point guard in Kyrie Irving, but Harden is doing what he needs to do. I think when it comes to James Harden, he plays his best basketball when he's the team's top option. I think he plays better without Durant and Kyrie than he does with those guys. And I think that was on display just the other night.
1: I mean, that was a loss. It was a 10 point loss, but he definitely puts up his best stat line. And that's why every time someone starts getting crazy with no one's done this Luca since Oscar Robertson, I'm like, yeah, but could he do that with Anthony Davis getting busy on the, with in the post and, and with a bunch of, with a bunch of players that need the ball. Could he do that with uh, letting Kyrie bring it up from time to time? It becomes harder. It becomes more calculations. You have to be, more potent in smaller doses. Um, And Harden has shown at times early in his career with OKC last year in the very few games that all three of the big three in Brooklyn got to play together. So it's been few and far between. Um, What do you make of uh, the big three maybe being, you know, done in short order, all this news about Harden uh, and potentially being traded have you heard have you heard about that I mean I'm like doing that TV thing have you heard I mean, I've I've read your notes I yeah. know that you know about yeah. this. yeah
0: yes yeah, yeah, Stephen a I've heard
1: <laughs> Wait, I mean, speaking of Stephen uh, a he reminded reminded me of something and you're in New York so you would know about this Stephen a was like last year the Knicks won one playoff game and they were ready to throw a parade James Harden's talking about I'm tired of losing and they're like second in the East and nobody is and nobody's bats an eye because they, they aren't thought of as you know, it's only negative in Brooklyn.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, look, every year, when I say every year, the past two years, the Nets have entered as the favorites in the league. You know, they've got Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Harden's a guy who was by himself leading the Rockets to numerous Western Conference finals, albeit he came up short at the end of the day, but he was doing that as the team's premier player. Now, I think it's pretty clear he's their second best player. Some people would even argue their third, um, you know, those Kyrie stands out there. So for James Harden, I understand being fed up with Not so much losing, but not finishing the job at the end of the day. Not being able to win that elusive title. He's been to the finals once with OKC, lost to Miami. He's been to the conference finals with Houston a couple times. Harden doesn't want a conference finals appearance. He wants a ring. And I totally respect that and appreciate that. McKenzie, I think James Harden has all the power here. Because yes, to answer your question from a few minutes ago, I've heard the rumors. And I don't think that the Nets can afford to lose James Harden. I don't think the Nets can afford to shop James Harden. I think Harden has all the power here as to what he wants to do, what he decides to do, not what his team decides to do, and whether or not he wants to stay with Brooklyn or opt out this offseason and either trigger a sign-and-trade or test out free agency. But I think while he has the upper hand, I think it's in both sides' best interest for him to stay a Brooklyn Net.
1: I do agree with that, and I do think uh, there's very little chance that that will not Uh, not be the case until this summer. To set the context here a little bit, earlier in the week, James Harden denied a report that said uh, he's unhappy in Brooklyn. Well, he didn't deny that he was unhappy or frustrated, but he's unhappy in Brooklyn, and he uh, doesn't like the whole Kyrie mess, and he's ready to test the free agency waters. He denied it. He said, if you didn't hear it from me, I didn't say it. He also said, I'm not going to Brooklyn. If you didn't hear it from me, I didn't say it. He also said, "Uh, I know nothing about Russell Westbrook potentially being shut up, forced out the door in Houston. If you didn't hear it from me, I didn't say it. He also said, uh, Chris Paul is is my teammate. Um, You know, I know it has to be done. I know it has to be done in the off season, but you know, I'm not going to talk about it. And then the reports, the rumors, the hints happen to be the case. So yeah, there is probably somebody talking to somebody in James Harden's camp. And I don't think it's because he doesn't believe this team can win a championship, although his frustration with, I mean, I said, a couple podcasts ago, if I knew the big three were playing for the next three months together, leading up to the playoffs, not even that they were going to be healthy the whole time through the playoffs. If I just knew it was going to be a ramp up of consistent basketball, I'd make a huge bet on the Brooklyn Nets plus 250, 280, probably get them from three to one now with this negative press coming out. But that's not the case. And it hasn't been the case for two years. They have played a couple a handful of games together, maybe a dozen. So I do think this is laying the groundwork for. If the Sixers are able to get value elsewhere for Ben Simmons and they're able to get cap space or, you know, ability to trade cap, you know, or just sign Harden, yeah, get cap room and just sign Harden to a four-year max if he opts out of his player option next summer, that's an attractive destination for James Harden. So pairing him with Duel and B, we talked about Damian Lillard earlier in the season. It does seem like that Kobe Shaq one-two punch is the way the Sixers could succeed and get Maury that elusive ring. And MaximBett.com comes through with the odds. Philadelphia 76ers are the favorite if James Harden moves on from Brooklyn to be the next team. Dallas, they're 2-1, they're two plus 200. The Dallas Mavericks are a really interesting possibility. I want to come back to them, but just to rain it out, it goes Sixers 2-1, Mavericks 3-1, Grizzlies, Bulls 4-1, and then... You get the Lakers all the way at 12 to one. Don't see that happening. Sometimes the bookies will throw that on there because Lakers fans will bet the dream. Here on the dream preview, we tell you to bet the facts, Uh, you know, and that's, you know, dream come true for you. So what do you make of it? What do you think of James Harden uh, angling his way to Philadelphia? Do you think that's a good pairing? And uh, do you think, uh, do you believe him when he says, don't believe the reports?
0: I do believe him. I do believe him. You know, I think James Harden is a lot of things. I don't think he's a bullshitter. You know, he's not worried about being buddy-buddy with you. And by you, I mean, you know, the media. Um, But at the same time, I don't think he's going to go out there and say something that he just doesn't entirely mean. And I think that if Harden says, don't buy it, I think you have reason not to buy it, right? It's not like he's playing for a team that's, you know, going 16 and 60 something, right? Like, He's playing on the most talented team in the NBA. Maybe not the best team. They don't have the ring to show it, but it's the most talented team in the NBA. And I think he believes that playing with them is his best shot. Now, pairing him with Joel Embiid, you can argue gives him an equal shot because Harden and Embiid versus Durant and Kyrie, I mean, holy crap, that's a seven game series that we all want to see. So I'm not ruling Philadelphia out entirely. I just still believe that he has less of an uphill battle with Brooklyn to get that ring and he might as well stay. You know, if he stays and if he opts into his extension this coming off season, he's going to be the NBA's first 60 million dollar man or at least he's on pace to be the NBA's first 60 million dollar man. If he opts into the extension after this year in the final year of that four-year extension, he'll earn 61.7 mil. That's insane. That's almost a million dollars a game. I mean, To not even be a top five player in the NBA, and I'm not saying he's trash, I'm just saying he's not a top five player in the NBA right now, and to be the highest paid, the first $60 million guy, he's got a good deal in Brooklyn. I would stay there.
1: Wow, you kind of convinced me on that. My first inkling was, you know, you could get a four-year contract, he is on the decline, do you lock in a a more long-term pay? But uh, the acclaim, the prestige of being the first, uh, you call him the million-dollar gay man. that kind of fits Harden's brand. It does kind of, that does kind of fit. Uh, I'm glad that you said that because it's easy to be the full-time cynic in media and say, well, you know, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. But uh, logically I believe him because the Nets have played incredible when Durant and, and Irving have been on the court together. Last time he had Durant as a teammate, they went to the finals. He's never been, been there since. I do think he wants that elusive ring as much as anything, as as much as building the brand. That, that's nothing, Nothing's going to come close to that. So, um, yeah, I still believe that the Nets uh, have all the intention, but it's never bad in business, in life, and in basketball to have an option. Definitely we'll have a few of those this summer. The Mavericks, real quick, the second favorite, I want to see it. I want to see Luka Doncic play the first half. James Harden gets an ice bath. on on the sideline, just watching and clapping. And then, you know, they just switch roles in the second half. You know, that way they'll be fully rested and they're essentially the same player. And it'll it'll just be like the odd couple. Uh, But them playing together, that I can't imagine. The first one, yeah, I can imagine it. But but them playing on the side-by-side, that is something I'll just have to wait and see.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, right? Like James Harden to the Dallas Mavericks is a destruction. Because the only way that would work is the example you just gave. And McKenzie, let's be realistic here. It's funny. I love the example. That's not going to happen. It's not going to be Doncic for, you know, quarters one and three, Harden for quarters two and four, right? And so the two of them playing together, they cannot coexist. You know, you you drive down the highway, you see all those cheesy bumper stickers that say coexists on the back of a car, right? James Harden and Luka Doncic cannot coexist. They are the same player. They are ball hogs. They are, you know, box score stuffers right like i'm not saying that you know they're not great players but they're just too damn similar to work and you know for the same reason that me and my father don't get along it's cuz we're too damn alike and i just don't see that combination working uh down in dallas i really don't see many of these combinations working i see philly working and i see brooklyn being the best where he is right now staying put being his best option and uh you know being the first guy to make 750k per game you know, again, we just got to squeeze that in there, 750k per game. Oh, load management, you took the night off, 750k. Like, it's not a bad deal.
1: I do think experience too. Luka Doncic so young in his career, uh, will be more difficult to negotiate that. We're hardened so much experience with Durant, Olympians together, uh, able able to coexist a little more a little more seamlessly with that with that built-in chemistry. Sp- speaking of built-in chemistry, we got the Red Hot Or, you know, the last five years, they've been pretty decent. Warriors hosting the Nets on Saturday. We're going to talk about Friday games in a second. But what do you think about that one? I'm intrigued by this one. You know,
0: obviously, Golden State's playing right now. They're taking on Minnesota. You mentioned they fell behind 10-2 early. Uh, But Brooklyn, you know, and this is, we always talk about Brooklyn because they have the talent. And they have the headlines. And they have the league's attention. But at the end of the day, we're a betting show, and the Brooklyn Nets are the worst against the spread team in the NBA. They've not only lost three straight, but they failed to cover in three straight. And you know, the one thing you look at here is, well, it's a road game that's not in Toronto, so they're going to have Kyrie, and they've got the rest advantage. Well, Brooklyn's one of the few teams in the NBA that actually has a losing cover record with a rest advantage, just seven and eight when they have one. And in non-conference games, the Nets have been abysmal. 6-13 against the spread in non-conference games. Now look, Golden State is on a betting slump. They're colder than I am with my best bets on this show. They're 4-8-1 against the spread in their last 13. That is tied, uh, but at the same time rather, they're tied for the third best cover percentage in the league when they're a favorite, cashing in 60% of the time. And third best as a home favorite, cashing in 67% of the time with a rest disadvantage, however, they're just 6-9 and nine against the spread. Still, you know, respectable. Uh, and in non-conference games, this is the big one. While the Nets are 6-13 and 13 against the number, Golden State 13-7. and seven. Now, McKenzie, my friend, the number is?
1: My projections make it a uh, big caveat that it's 48 hours from now. I'll make it Warriors minus 6, hosting the Nets with Kyrie and Harden, not with Durant. Now, Harden did miss the last game when they hosted the Nuggets and was a quad. It seemed preventative, but definitely before you make any bets for Saturday's game, monitor Harden's status.
0: Yeah, I also think that's because it was a back to back. I think that has a little to do with it as well. You know, Harden played his ass off against the Lakers, and he was the only one of the big three who played in that game. So he really, I think, you know, look at Harden, right? Let's be honest. The guy the past two years has been a different James Harden than we're accustomed to. He's been a bit overweight. Not Luca levels, but You know, his conditioning, I would say, is nowhere near what it was earlier during his time in Houston or towards the end of his time in OKC. So I don't know how serious that quad is, but just the fact that he probably exerted more energy in that Lakers game than he has in any game this season, I think it called for the night off.
1: Something else to keep in mind for this game. Warriors have been slow starters. Nets have been relatively fast starters. Just to keep that in mind, the Warriors are plus eight and a half on the season in the game. But just plus one in the first half. Meanwhile, the Nets are only plus three in the whole game. But two thirds of that, they're plus two in the first half. May may look Brooklyn first half, especially if uh, if if you come down on the side. Here's a question: Here, do Harden and Kyrie come into this game thinking, you know, let's make it work, you know, let's let's do this together, hold hands and and, and run off the cliff together in, in belief and, and and see if they land amongst the stars. Or is this the beginning of a rift? You know, I mean, it has been very vocal, although, you know, vocal as in through TMZ and not through anything, anybody actually saying anything that Harden wishes Kyrie had made some different decisions. Uh, I've heard some people say recently that Kyrie has no problem with vaccines. It's the mandate that he has a problem with.
0: So what he's sticking it to the man. I, I mean hmm. give me a break. Of course James Harden thinks you know wishes Kyrie made different decisions. I think every fan of the Nets and every fan of basketball and every fan of common sense wishes Kyrie Irving made some different decisions. Kyrie <laughs> Irving I'd say he walks to the beat of his own drum but that's a good thing and Kyrie Irving just likes to do things I think to stir up controversy and be selfish and be the center of attention.
1: Yeah, so I'll I'll, I'll make my case on that. I I do think that uh yeah, he he would probably bug me as a person, but there's a reason why this frustrating character is Harden's teammate because he believes in him. A lot of people like Chauncey Billups recently said the best point guard skills he's ever seen are just yeah. a fan of what that, kind of like Aaron Rodgers, that guy does with the ball in his hands, regardless of uh, might not be the guy you sit next to on the bus.
0: Yeah, and you know what I said about Aaron Rodgers on my other podcast that I recorded Monday following uh, his loss to San Francisco? I said at the end of the day, people are going to look at his career and say, "Yeah, it's nice that he's got four MVPs, but his career overall was a disappointment. And you know, Kyrie and and Aaron Rodgers are, are cut from the same cloth. They're some of the most talented human beings to play their respective sport ever. And yet they get in their own way. and really only them, you know it, it's it, it's a shame because these guys really have gifts that other people would kill for, would do anything for, and they're the only ones getting in their own way. As far as how the Nets approach this game with Golden State, you know, it's funny when you said hold hands and jump off the cliff. I was thinking of the movie The Other Guys, when Dwayne Johnson and Sam Jackson are are cops together and they're New York's finest and they're chasing a perp and they hold hands and they run off a building and they go in for the bushes. It's New York City. There's no bushes. And they just land flat on the concrete and die. And that's what I'm thinking could happen in this one. I'm thinking Harden and Kyrie could just land flat on the concrete and go splat because they're going to Golden State. The Nets, you know, the Nets are just, they're a, uh, the word I keep using is they're one of the most talented teams in the league, but I can't call them the best because there's no consistency, you know? Look, does your against the spread record mean anything at the end of the day when it comes to being the best team in the NBA winning championships? It really doesn't. But what it tells me is that the Nets don't play up to their standard. And, you know, I'm sorry, Golden State, Like I mentioned, they've only covered four of their last, what, 13? But at the end of the day, with how bad the Nets have been against the spread, I'm more inclined to trust Steph and to trust his ancillary pieces, the Porters, the Peytons, the Kumingas, than I am to trust Harden and Kyrie to be leaders of their men.
1: I think that's well said. Golden State, I've been hesitant to put at the top of the rating, on top of my power ratings, even when they had the best stats and the best record, but they have fallen. They have fallen. Drum roll, please. Phoenix Suns are now my new number one power rated team. The Jazz were earlier in the year. The Bucks were maybe for half a second. Golden State was for a long period. But Golden, the Phoenix Suns, number one net rating, number two defensive rating, number three offensive rating. Why do I bring that up? Because I saw on your Twitter, I'll give it out to the people, at the Joe Serralo, that's C-E-R-A-U-L-O, the Joe Serralo. Uh, You gave out a bet on the Suns minus one, which cash, they beat the Jazz, they remain red hot. However, I was shocked to see the box score, because when I saw that it had moved from Suns minus four to Suns only minus one in the rematch versus the Jazz, I'm like, oh, well, Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert, or maybe even both in a questionable way, uh, were announced back and they were going to play and they were going to beat. They were going to you know, show up and, and beat a team almost as good as them, or they're almost as good as in the Suns. And then I looked, neither of them played. Yet the market moved from three points for no particular reason. The Jazz were just, uh, you know, people are just skeptical that the, that the Suns couldn't remain this red hot. And they down their doubters once again. Nice bet. bet. if I knew, if I, I mean, that was a busy day for me on that Wednesday. NFL playoffs coming up, the dream preview, the main pod, which you guys look forward to. Every Thursday, you probably listen to it. Uh, just last just yesterday, uh, you know, big r- run up to the conference championship game. Had I looked and seen that line, man, that's a juicy one. Uh, glad you got to got to profit on it. The, the Suns at a basically a pick 'em versus the Jazz without Mitchell and Gobert doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm glad the bookies got punished for it.
0: Yeah. And that was just the thing for me, because when I saw that, I'm like, all right, Mitchell's back. Let me see if Gobert's, Gobert's back in. And I looked and I saw that they were both out. And then because, you know, you can never trust ESPN's injury report, right? That's so volatile. So I checked Twitter and then I Google, you know, projected starting lineups tonight. And every account, every source that I looked into... It showed that Mitchell and Gobert were both out, and I'm thinking, how the hell is this a virtual pick'em? You know, how the hell is this Phoenix minus one and a half? I don't want to call it a virtual pick'em for the uh, Bulls minus one and a half at Thunder crowd a couple nights Oof. ago. That was <laughs> talk about your bad beats. Chicago up four with uh, a second left. Oklahoma City hits a three to make it a one point game. Terrible. I feel for all of you who had Chicago in that one. But yeah, Phoenix and you know Utah made it close. Jordan Clarkson. Had an absolutely phenomenal fourth quarter. Scored in double figures. But you know who else did in the fourth quarter? Chris Paul. Chris Paul was the passing man, the true point guard. Let Devin Booker do everything quarters, one, two, and three. And then Chris Paul in that lethal mid-range game of his just took over. Also took over at the free throw line in the fourth quarter. And uh, Phoenix ended up pulling away late to secure that one. But yeah, you know, three straight best bet losses on the show. I'm down to six and six on the year. I'm a loser. I-, I owed that one to the people. And shout out to everyone who does follow me on my socials. I put that one out on Twitter and on my Instagram at Joe Serralo as well. And uh, you all deserve that because I've let you down the past few episodes.
1: Well, nice winner. Identifying the best team in the league in a team without their starters. Uh, you know, you find that opportunity, you cash. That's how it's done. Uh, the Jazz do get Mitchell back. Questionable, but um, not question. I mean, not do get him back, but. By the time you listen to it, I'm betting with my words that it's going to go from questionable to probable, reading the tea leaves here. Gobert out, though. So that's Friday night. Red Hot Memphis Grizzlies are hosting the Utah Jazz. We see a line right here. The Grizzlies are minus three hosting the Jazz. Jazz without Gobert, but Mitchell probably on the mend. What do you make of this game?
0: You know, this is a tricky one to me. Um, when It's going to come down to supporting casts, really, at the end of the day, because Mitchell and John Morant are both. Not stars. They're both superstars. And, you know, at the end of the day, you can rely on both of them for a 30 piece. And it comes down to who's going to step up and play defense. Who's going to hit that clutch bucket late in the fourth quarter when Mitchell and Morant, respectively, are both double teamed and they have to pass it off to someone else. So I think supporting casts are going to be huge here. And Gobert would give Utah a big leg up. Him being out is why Memphis is a three point favorite, in my opinion. That's really the tiebreaker there. Um, you look at Utah, man, and it's tough to gauge there against the spread numbers because they've had a lot of games without Gobert and without Mitchell lately. But in their last 11, they're just 2-8-1 against the number. After a straight-up loss, they're just 7-11, which is the second-worst mark in the league against the spread after a straight-up loss. And they've been especially bad with just one day of rest. They're 11-20 and 20 against the spread with one day of rest. That's tied with the Sacramento Kings for the second-worst cover percentage in the league. They're also 10 and 15 when them and their opponents have equal rest. Now, Memphis, on the flip side, with one day off where Utah's 11 and 20, the Grizz are 18 and 13 against the spread with a day off. They're 14 and 9 against the spread with equal rest. And in conference games, they're atop the West 24 and 12 against their conference opponents. I mean, any way you slice it, Memphis has pretty against the spread numbers, right? At 32 and 18, they're the third best covering team in the NBA. I don't have a final decision on this one yet but I'm leaning Grizzlies minus three McKenzie
1: right there with you. I lean Memphis Grizzlies over the jazz hosting them. One thing I don't want to get in front of this freight train. Like it's gotten past the point where they're a hot team. They're just a fundamentally different team than they were last year. And remember last year where the Grizzlies upset the jazz in the first game of the playoffs and then got swept, lost straight up and against the spread easily four straight times to end their season season. They've just come in looking like a completely different squad. John Morant, talking about player efficiency rating, it is a catch-all for just how much you're doing out there. He went from, you know, kind of middling 17, you know, above average player to right there with the best in the league, above 25. They're just a different squad. They already covered and beat the Jazz one time in this game. So it, it did appear to me last year during the playoffs that there was a fundamental matchup advantage. Jazz get a lot of threes up, protect the paint with Gobert. Grizzlies want to live in the paint, and that's why they won the last four games of that series. But I think they've just grown up a bit, the Grizzlies, and I think they're ready for this. So uh, don't really like either side in it. I, I, my, my, Honestly, I want to play the Jazz, but without Gobert and with how good the Grizzlies have been inside where Gobert lives, I can't step in front of the Grizzlies right now.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'm going to take the Grizzlies minus three in this one. And, and here's why. Jaron Jackson Jr. has really had a hell of a month in the paint and no Gobert means it's just that much easier to dominate the paint against Utah, right? If Gobert plays, totally different game, totally different line also, but without him in there, I don't know anyone on the Jazz who are going to be able to, you know, compete with Jackson in terms of boards, blocks, defense, jumping, you know, I mean, just everything Jackson brings to that paint, it's going to be tough to neutralize that without Gobert on the court. You know, also, Brendan Clark doesn't play a lot of minutes, but You know, I mentioned how he's top three in PER among Western Conference power forwards, right? Obviously he plays meaningful minutes and I think Memphis is going to have the inside track to dominating the paint, but also Desmond Bain is back for the Grizzlies. Just returned in their win against San Antonio and well, he didn't have his best game of the month. I mean, he has had a tour in January minus the games that he's missed due to injury. He still dropped 20 and he only hit one three, right? In January, he's played nine games And he's hit at least 40% of his threes in five of those nine games. And in all of those games, he's taken at least six. So just one of three against San Antonio wasn't a big part of his game. And he still dropped 20. Assuming that the three ball re-enters his repertoire for this one. And he goes out there and starts dropping bombs. You know, I I said it's Morant versus Mitchell. And then what do you have after that? I think the Grizzlies right now with no-go bear have a little more after Morant. And that's why they have the edge. And that's why I'm taking a minus the three
1: you're asking about who, what big bodies are in there for the Utah Jazz. You act like Hassan White Dye doesn't exist. <laughs> what did what it, Casa, someone said Casa, Casa El Blanco, kind of like, like on Twitter, two players talking to each other. And someone said, man, some players just don't, just don't have it. I don't know what it is. Like Mr. Burns said, uh, let's call it heart skip. They just don't have it. And uh, someone, I think it was like, Enos Cantor or something was like. That's hey, uh, Enos Freedom,
0: it by the way. Don't, uh, don't mess that one up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Enos Freedom tells it like it is. Hassan Whiteside versus Jaron Jackson Jr., in my opinion. You got the young buck versus the veteran that always thought he was better than he is that already got paid. Give me Jaron Jackson Jr. in that 12-round boxing match any day of the week. So in that particular matchup, and that probably does speak to how the game's going to go. I like I, I lean to your side on in, in that particular matchup.
0: I love it. I love having a guy who's 9-3 with his best bets on my side. So, McKenzie, let's get into it. Our best bets, you already teased yours, so I'm dying to know what do you like for your best bet this
1: episode? You may have heard the Charlotte Hornets dropped 158 points Wednesday night. A record hadn't been done for 40 years against the proud, the faithful, Indiana Pacers they got obliterated Rick Carlisle I had a tough I had one tough coach my career as a basketball player uh, and we got blown out one time and we were sick to our stomachs uh, just from fear just from not even him saying anything not even any extra work we were doing we, we were we were coming back to that gym uh, clear-eyed and not gonna lose And I think the Indiana Pacers come out on fire in their next game and, you know, just happen to be against the 30 out of 30 worst first quarter team in the league. That would be the Oklahoma City Thunder. I like playing teams on the road. So it all kind of lines up perfectly where the Indiana Pacers are a top 10 league team in the first quarter. Oklahoma City already mentioned the very worst. And I have a reason to believe that the Pacers are going to come out like a bat out of hell. I much, much, much love the game. is a pick 'em. I'm projecting the first quarter is going to be a pick 'em. Indiana. I mean, I love that it's a pick 'em. Even if it's a tie, I push. Can't ask for a better bet, in my opinion. Well, you can. I mean, you, you know, this is a 58 percenter, in my opinion. Pacers first quarter best bet pick 'em. I like
0: the bat almost as much as I love the Bad out of hell reference. Rest in peace, Meatloaf. Oh, yeah. By the way, I don't know if that was intentional or not. it sounds like it wasn't intentional, but you
1: know, it's called the Zeitgeist. It's called the Zeitgeist. Tony Kornheiser was talking about how the Bad out of hell changed everything. You know, a week ago, and it, it definitely was somewhere in the back of my subconscious. Meatloaf. He, he started his career as an actor, and then he said, "You know what? I can sing." So. Go go meatloaf. That's that's inspiring.
0: And if you ever saw him in concert, I mean, there was a lot of acting going on on that stage. He was, <laughs> he was a performer to the fullest yeah. extent. I had many college road trips uh, where Paradise by the Dashboard Light was just absolutely blasting out of the windows of my friend's beat-up old 04 Chrysler. Let's get into my best bet, McKenzie. I'm riding with your hometown team, the Chicago Bulls, minus one and a half in San Antonio, Tonight, if you're listening to this on Friday, Friday night, you know, the Bulls are one of the better teams in hoops against the spread as an away favorite. They don't let the hype get to them. They're 7-5 and five covering as an away favorite. And San Antonio, you would think as a home dog, a Greg Popovich-led team would respond and would at the very least cover. The Spurs are just 5-10 and 10 as a home dog this year. They've got heart, they've got toughness, they've got a great coach, but at the end of the day, when you look at these two teams, there is just a glaring difference in talent. And DeJounte Murray has had an amazing year, just tied a Spurs record with his 14th triple-double. After him, this team does not have enough to compete with even a banged-up, bruised, and battered Chicago Bulls squad. Look, the big X factor for me in this one, it's not DeMar DeRozan making his return to San Antonio, but I think that plays a factor I think he wants to prove hey guys I'm an all-star starter now look at me but Zach Levine's back and Zach Levine looked real good in his return and in the Bulls win against Toronto the other night give me the Bulls minus one and a half at San Antonio
1: my best bet I definitely lean that way when I looked at the sheet um, I just I, I hesitated because I wasn't sure about the injury report it does look like Zach Levine is back. I love a guy that's proven to be at, in midseason form. And the DeRozan to the Spurs factor, you know, R.J. Bell and the great Steve Fezzik and the great R.J. Bell talk about uh, the chess master versus the chess padwan factor. I think it's often missed in the NBA how much experience and DeMar DeRozan having the experience of the way DeJounte Murray wants to guard people the way the Spurs guards want to play. I do think that's advantage Bulls. So I'm going to do a little more work myself on it, but that does make sense to me.
0: There we go. So you've got the Pacers in a pick 'em quarter one at Oklahoma City. That's McKenzie's best bet as he looks to improve to an astounding 10-3 here at the end of episode 13. And my best bet, the Bulls minus one and a half at San Antonio as I just look to get above 500 and up up to 53% on the young season. For Mackenzie Rivers, I'm Joe Sorallo. That does it for episode 13 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview.